Hello, everyone, and welcome to Weekly Manga Recap. This is Nick here along with Chris on February the 25th, 2019. Chris is sick, but uh, we're going to use the most powerful medication of all. A bullet? Which is, yes. Sweet. A bullet made of manga discussion. Fired Aww. from a fired from a gun made of snarky assholes. It's actually sounding pretty good now, just saying it out loud. Yeah. See. And that's the way it works. You know, you you hear you hear just the the basic premise and it's like, oh, that doesn't sound like it's going to help. But then the longer that you hear the initially dulcet and subsequently delirious and uh nerdy tones of our voices then you start to fall under our spell yeah yes exactly i I do find it amusing uh in the the tabletop show i do dice funk i just Mm -hmm. recently started playing a new character who i voice as macho man randy savage oh yeah uh that's not gonna happen at all this week no (laughs) it's gonna be like hey big star talks like a normal ass dude now (laughs) deal with it (laughs) I mean, you do sound a little bit more like Macho Man than you do when with your normal speaking voice, just as a result of your tone having to be lower. <laughs> oh, yeah. It goes down, but the, this is the bad kind of down. No, you don't go. I, I tried it very briefly, and I couldn't do uh, two sentences without going to do a pretty bad coughing fit, which I was like, it's probably not the best to, uh, yeah. way to do a podcast. No, it's it, you gotta be, get really raspy in order to in order to do Macho Man, but it's okay, Chris. We no, will guys, hear you. I got to do this line where I say "toilet" as Macho Man. It's gonna be a toilet. <laughs> oh yeah, no, <laughs> don't, don't do it. It's okay, Chris. We're gonna cure your sickness the same way that uh, the Academy cured racism for uh, the third time in thirty years. You know and what? I could be upset about that. I don't really care, honestly. But, but I do like making fun of it. I won the Oscar bet this year. Nice. Because I bet on the Academy being spineless cowards who would give the best actor award to Rami Malik, And uh, that was all I needed. So I don't have to watch Holmes and Watson this year. And I'm pretty happy. About oh, gosh. <laughs> it's Holmes, Watson, Gotti, and then whatever works, which is like a Woody Harrelson comedy movie where Larry David falls in love with like a 20 year old Southern chick. I don't even know what those last two are. It's, so. it's pretty bad. It's it's nice that you uh, do this instead of uh, stuffing yourself with incredibly uh, bad for you foods. Now you just do. Yeah, yeah. It's we're all slowly improving uh, each day, a little better. <sighs> was it that you were going to watch that? I was like, if you lose, I'll watch it with the chaperone. The triple H. Yeah, <laughs> no, my brother lost that one at least. Yeah, and you were like really confident going in, if I remember. So yeah. Speaking of food, Chris. Uh, we don't have My Hero Academia to talk about this week, so we're going to just begin our manga discussion by talking about Food Wars. And it's chapter 300 of Food Wars. And I was actually thinking to myself last week as we were going into this, like, I don't think that they're actually going to do anything special. And lo and behold, I was actually wrong. Something important did actually happen. At least a little important. Mm-hmm. Let's get into talking about it. Recap portion of the manga recap begins with Food Wars chapter 300. Chapter 300, A Pre-Meal Grace. So, last time with Soma's help, Takumi defeated uh, the bar guy, Don Kama. And uh, so, we see that Isami gets back from being freed by security right as the contest is ending. It's like, oh, good of you to show up. Yeah, right on time, buddy. 
Don Kama, of course, is upset they lost, and he sees that Asahi Saiba has arrived, and so immediately he offers his special ninja, sorry, cooking tool, uh, the shaker, and says, like, I, I've done all I can do, so just, you know, use me as your tool and use me as you see fit, and Asahi t- takes it, and Takumi just thinks to himself, ah, we prevented him from taking my Mesaluna, but in the end, he got another freakish talent to absorb, which in this case... I don't think they've got anything to worry about unless Asahi happens to also have a team of dozens of cross-dressing men. Then, oh, you, you're, you're done fucked. So, but like, seriously, how is he supposed to use this cross with anything else if no one else is going to shake, shake, shake with him? I mean, I guess you could say they argue the same thing with the Mezzaluna. If you don't have a, a second person, what does it fucking matter? True, but... That's only one person you need to help you out, as opposed to a dozen. <laughs> Histoire approaches uh, Soma and Takumi and Megumi. Congratulate Soma and Takumi on their impressive battle. And uh, he invites them to uh, take a break, go to their guest rooms. And uh, he says, we have high expectations for you three, including you, girl who hasn't done anything yet. Seriously. I thought that this chapter might be about Megami for a second when someone says, Hur. but no, it turns out, no, just, she's still got nothing to do. So. They do have something about, like, the tournament has no need for the likes of her. And I was like, oh, is this, like, like it's going to target Megami? Because yeah. I don't think she's worthy of being in this tournament. But it's like, nah, it's about Aaron. <laughs> Megami will fucking show up one match, she'll lose, and she'll be out. Uh, we see that that's the conversation that takes place between Une and the bookmaster. The bookmaster says, yes, the tournament has no need for the likes of her. And we find out what this means uh, a little bit later after uh, Soma has gotten to sleep some. Takumi and Megami and Isami, who apparently have not all changed at all. They just, I guess, stayed up this whole time. Whatever. Uh, They say, like, there's been a change to the brackets from yesterday. And uh, so Megami's like, yeah, here's here's the problem. Uh, When we woke up, someone updated things, but it was only to miss Arena's block. And he looks at it and sees that basically the the bracket is, you know, Arena in the middle and then one opponent after the other without them having to face each other in between. So she's got something like six or seven opponents in a row that she's got to face and they're all fresh. Uh, remarkably unfair setup. Arena destroys them uh, one after the other, or at least she destroys the first Three, five, I forget how many they say. They specify three, but it's presumed she takes on more. Also, one of the girls that uh, has her clothes torn off had a motorcycle helmet on. Good for her. A lot of characterization we got out of them. (laughs) She uh, presumably rode a motorcycle, or at the very least, thought the motorcycle helmet looked cool. I hope she had like an entire motorcycle style of cooking, where she drove around like a tiny (laughs) kitchen on a motorcycle. It's like like a giant mixing bowl and uh rides around in the motorcycle on top of it <laughs> like wheelies the bike into the mixing pot and then different motorcycle riding te- <laughs> different motorcycle riding techniques actually accomplish different things and that after she loses she has to hand her motorcycle in so <laughs> he's, he's like, like i don't have a license <laughs> he's like i mean i just got a shaker that requires 30 other people to use but somehow this motorcycle is still the most impractical talent you could have given me he tries to like do his crossed knives pose thing it's like oh he's got a knife in one hand <laughs> lift the motorcycle in the other 
All right, I'm going to lay on the ground and you just tilt the <laughs> camera so it looks like I'm doing this standing up. Everyone's going to be super impressed. I'm just going to think that it was so muscular. So, uh, Soma gets pissed off at this, not because he thinks it's unfair uh, for Arena, but because it's unfair that she gets to cook a whole lot and he doesn't. So he goes to see the, the uh, bookmaster. Uh, but when he gets there, uh, Arena is already there confronting her. And uh, Takumi and Megumi and Sami all catch up as the conversation is taking place. And Arena, uh, you know, says like, "Why did you do this? I I know that you were the one who ins- who changed the brackets." And the bookmaster just says, "So well, it's my tournament. Yeah, I did. In order to see my greatest wish fulfilled, I have simply arranged things so that the ones I find most suitable are more likely to win. That is all." And so Arena says. Yeah, I see. You've given up on all traditional chefs. You only want to see tournament between the noir and their talents. But of all the freakish talents on display, there is one in which you have the least interest, which is the divine tongue. Am I correct? Mother! Oh, no. Yeah. So at this point, the bookmaster's like, all right, yeah, get the blinds out of the way. I mean, it's kind of pointless at this point. <laughs> Uh, Zune so lifts the blinds, and we see it's Erinda's mother, Mana Nakiri, who has a very, very like traditional uh, Japanese look to her. She's got um, fashioned eyebrows, the kind that are just like at the very tips of her eyes, and uh, she's wearing a kimono. She's got a fan, and uh, she looks very kind of a uh, kitsune-ish, I guess you could. So. Uh, and is like, why don't you answer my question? And I, was, I was like, I don't really feel like it. So Aaron says, well, I'm fine. Watch, watch what Matthew meant this entire tournament. I'll show you what my divine tongue can do. Good day, mother. I mean, bookmaster. And she storms out and of course, immediately discovers the people who are listening in and then just was like, all right, and just walks off. And uh, Megumi says, well, she seemed really mad. And someone says, she was mad, all right. But that's not all. And that's the end of the chapter. So what do we think of this development, Chris? Um, I mean, it's not a huge shock. There was really only a limited number of things that the bookmaster could be that would still be shocking to us as readers. Right. So this being development isn't too surprising. Uh, if you've been following along with the story, you've kind of realized that the one missing Nikiri has always been her mom. So they had to put her in somewhere. I think it does add a wrinkle into this tournament. Um, but I think I kind of agreed with you when I was like getting into this chapter. I was kind of getting into the idea of this being a chapter about Megami, and it wasn't. So yeah. I still like this chapter. I was bummed because uh, poor Megami got. We don't need her in this tournament. <gasps> no. <laughs> like, no, no. We really we don't need her in this tournament. We in, fact, in fact, we're not going to actually kick her out. We're just going to like ignore that she exists. There's it, like there's the entire tournament bracket, and then there's just like a little dot way off to the side like you have to like unfold three pages down and then there's just a little isolated dot that reads Tadako or Megami on it and so yeah she's over here she doesn't have any opponents but she also doesn't connect into the tournament bracket at all so yeah uh you know good luck though go you know grab Soma and Takumi to do things instead of you yeah uh yeah, I mean, like this this being Arina's mother and showing this, there's this tension between them. 
really kind of makes you realize like, oh, so this is why Irina was raised by her grandfather instead of either of her parents. What an awful family she comes from. Oh, everyone's just terrible. I mean, like, even when you get to uh, to the people who are like, you know, at least good to her, their family is also full of weirdos besides that. Like, Irina might be honestly the most normal person from the from the Nakiri clan. When you think about it, that's weird. Uh-huh. All right. From there, we're going to move on into Boruto. Because Boruto's back uh, for this month. And it is chapter number 32, Ode Debts. The fight between Naruto and Delta continues. And for like the first six, seven pages of this chapter, it's just the fighting uh, with a lot of speed lines behind them, uh, a lot of strikes and stuff. Uh, eventually, at one point, uh, Delta unleashes the extension ability of her legs and tries to like stop Naruto, and he uses a lava-style version of the Rasen Shuriken to blow her legs the fuck up, and then she just regenerates the bottom of her legs. Uh, and Naruto realizes, oh, if I destroy her arms or legs, she'll just regenerate them, but, uh, so I need to attack her torso, but if I hit her head on, there's a good chance she's just going to absorb it. And I swear, I had like a sense of deja vu at the beginning of this chapter because Boruto is like, we've got to attack her! We, we can create an opening for him! And Kawaki's like, don't be a fool. Don't even think of interfering. The Hokage told us to stay out of it. Don't you understand why? It's because... He's in control and we'd be getting in the way. And Boruto's like, but he's been on the defensive. You're ignorant. He's the one in control now. Like they're dancing a complex dance or something. I swear this conversation that took place between them recently. Am I just like imagining that or is it just so similar to the conversation they had last trip that I thought that it, they had said done all this stuff before? I don't know if it's exact, but it's I think it's uh, almost a necessity in a world where you, your character is someone who we've already read a story about, and we know that he's a super-powered uh, god creature, basically. Mm-hmm. Whenever he gets the fight, you kind of have to explain, like, alright, so he can't just win immediately because the story's boring then. So, he's not gonna win. So why, like, what are these characters who are standing by on the sideline gonna do? And they kind of have to talk to themselves to be like, we can't get involved because we'll just interfere with things. Uh, I can't remember if this exact conversation chapter before, but I do feel like it happened to some extent recently. Mm. Maybe not with this, but with um, not Konohamaru. Maybe it was Konohamaru when he fought against uh, Ow. Ow, yeah. Maybe. Yeah, maybe I don't know. It all just kind of blend together. It's earned points. Delta uses her. Very essential, awesome, very essential, uh, super powerful attack, which is I-beams, which, which Naruto has to dodge. And Kawaki starts uh, info-dumping, saying that not only are the I-beams super destructive, but they counter-regenerative powers. The cells of any body part that are hit get completely obliterated. Even my bodies or the Hokage's healing powers probably can't repair the damage. Uh, so Naruto's like... Yeah, but you have to burn up a lot of chakra in order to do that, don't you? And she's like, well, shut up. I gotta just hit you once. And they fight some more. More striking, more speed lines. Uh, and Naruto looks like he's gonna do okay. Boruto gets worried when he takes a punch. Oh no, a punch. And so he uses his vanishing Rasengan and throws it at her. And she's like, whatever. 
Uh, and Bardo's like, it's vanishing, so she won't be able to absorb it. And Delta's like, oh, okay. And sure, like, floating drone overhead just scans for it. And she's like, ah, got it. And just absorbs it into her. And that's it. And then she's like, anyway, I've got an idea. And she just goes and punches Boruto in the face and grabs Himawari. <laughs> it's like, why didn't you do this earlier? <laughs> she grabs Himawari, throws her up into the air, like, finishing cinematic style. <laughs> And through and launches her eye beams up in the air. And Naruto is like, I've got to go and save her. And she's like, Yes, this will guarantee a hit. And there's a burst and explosion. And Bird's like, Oh no. And Kawaki has jumped in the way and, ex- and absorbed the blow with his arm. And uh he falls to the th- to the ground. And everyone just kind of like stops. And they're like, Oh, Delta, you shielded me and Hima. And Delta's like, Why would Kawaki do such a thing? Anyway, I'm just going to stand here and let them talk. And and she does. Yeah. And uh, Kawaki's like, if the Hokage loses, we're as good as dead. So I had to do it. But I'd say we're even now in terms of that vase, eh, Boruto? And Boruto's like, you idiot. There's no, this is no time to even be thinking of that. And I was like, you're bastards. I'm getting really angry. And that's the end of the chapter. Uh, it's not a bad chapter. Uh, the The fighting didn't do as much for me this chapter as it did before, maybe only because the paneling isn't particularly very conducive to like making the fight exciting. It's a lot of just like large block panels where stuff's kind of happening, and the the panels don't really mm-hmm. guide the movement particularly well. Um, but I do like the ending. I like Kawaki kind of like showing up in this big way to protect people. I I do have a part of me that hopes that because he sacrificed part of his arm, but they don't give him a robot arm. I mean, like, <laughs> <laughs> is this is this going to become Naruto's thing now, where people lose arms and they need to give them robots? Here, new arm. <laughs> uh, but I do like him, sh- like sacrificing, you know, or taking, uh, you know, taking on the the risk like that. It's it's a very good moment for him. It's it's kind of just like the basic, you know, thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it meets the minimum requirements. It's not bad, but it's not exceptional. Uh so I don't really have anything to greatly criticize other than the awkwardness at the very end where it's just like, let's all just stop right now and take a moment. And when one of them should clearly just like continue on fighting. Uh, but other than that, yeah, it's really distracting, honestly, the way that the fighting happens, because there's a lot of stretches where it's just like they're just punch, 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 uh, exchanging and dodging and stuff. And it's not very interesting to look at. Uh so it, it doesn't really do anything for me, but I, at the same time, it's like, eh, it's all right. I guess it is acceptable. You get a passing grade. So, yeah. All right, let's move on then to Eden Zero. All right, let's talk Eden Zero Mass Murderer Jamalov. Jamma Jamma Jing Dong. Yes. Jam, that is, jam Jam. That's his full proper name. Uh, so the group wakes up at the end. And it uh, turns out that it really didn't matter that we saw the bad guy also go into what looks like an inn because they don't they don't encounter him there. Uh, nope. Instead, we go back to the Eden Zero and they talk about uh, well, what could have happened to close off your heart, Hermit. What what happened to you? Uh, but then sister is like, hey, something's going on. Something's screwing with the, the, the thing like we're being hacked and they're like, what? How is that possible? Uh, but they're like. Yeah, it's only possible when we have Hermit. So we yeah. can't. We don't want to. This wouldn't have. Anything. This wouldn't have worked if if 
Hermit were here to look after the security of the ship. So yeah, so they're like, all right, well, we're gonna do what we can, but we you know, we, we got to make sure this this is handled, or else it's gonna hurt the team down in Digitalis. Uh, which is still a stupid name. <laughs> Back at Digitalis. Uh, Digitalis, Digitalis, Digitalis. The group's heading up a road. Uh, Shiki starts talking about how he wants to fight a monster, and a big monster shows up, and they're like, "Ah, a monster!" Uh, but then it's a good monster. He's actually—he yeah. uh, talks about how he's not a bad monster. He's actually a good one. He's an event boss, but you're only supposed to fight him, only to find out that the gem that he was holding was something you used to protect the townspeople. And then he gets really upset because he gave away spoilers. Uh, but then Rice is like, <laughs> "Who did we kill? You know?" And uh, then the big monster starts sulking. Yeah. Um, Wise you asshole. But the big the big uh, big monster man tells everybody he's like, Oh yeah, well, you watch out because there's big trouble going on there up in north. It's the rumor the mass murderer, Jamalov, Jam Jam Jing Dong. He's uh, he's appeared in Krista and uh, he kills everybody, NPCs or players. He's 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 a real bad dude, real bad bad amigo. Um <laughs> You sound so thrilled by this explanation. Yeah, it's 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 um super compelling. Uh <laughs> so they're gonna go to the town. Uh because they're gonna go get a member of her crew. They say that uh she's there. So so that's where Hermit is. So they're they're heading out towards that town. And they get yep. to, they get to Krista, the city of crystals. So I mean it feels pretty obvious. Just name's Krista. You're probably the city of crystals. Wiles Let's name see. We, like what are we Let's see. We are. We're in. What's, what's, a, what's, a, what's a what's an important facet of our town? Let's see. We're a. Uh, we've got a dock, so we are the we're the we're the town of Dokas. Docks or Doctopia, if you've just felt even less creative. Or or, or docks like D O X. We got a lot of docks, so we're docks. I just want to note the characters right now have traveled to Krista in the land of Digitalis. <laughs> the digital there. world. <laughs> Uh, so they, they walk by, they see some, uh, some person, uh, whose face is like kind of glitching out, uh, mm-hmm. and then they kind of like disappear as a scythe rips them in half and, uh, shocker is jammy and he's like, Bwahaha. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I get the feeling that hero maybe read goblin slayer or something recently and he really wanted to like get in on this because we find out that jammy is is just the, the biggest asshole like, pretty much there, there's no like layers to it at all he's just a supreme i'm player. a sadistic monster <laughs> like, i only like killing female npcs because their their cries really do it for me and then the guys i just impale on a giant spike and wait for them to die and he, I have a program that keeps them from blogging out, so it doesn't matter. Even if they could, they die in the real world. Because if you die in the game, then you die in real life. That's the rules to Digitalist and how it works. Uh, and then Shiki's like, "No, how could you do that?" He, he goes on for it's like six pages of, of Jammy. Really, this is my entire character. <laughs> he really gives just everything. He's I'm I'm Jamie, the chosen one. And like I what work. He, he what he does is actually the really big dick move that asshole PCs do, which is that he act, he like uploads a virus into all their systems. So you have to read the uh, character profile 
that uh, nobody reads after you've written it. And so he's like forces them to read like all five paragraphs of his character. And they're like, oh, my God, this is so uninteresting. <laughs> and then uh, he kills them. You know, yeah. And he also he name drops that he works with the Draken Joe, who Nick I don't know if Joe. Heard, he's one of the Eurasian Six Galactica, <laughs> <laughs> who are a band of fighters so strong they're said to be able to crush entire planets. I bet they're super cool. Uh, but Cheeky's like, nope, I'm not gonna let you get away with this. And then we cut over to Hermit, and she's like, maybe machines do have hearts, but humans don't. Boom! Hard credits next week. <laughs> Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> oh yeah, that should have been probably the end of one of the Kingdom Hearts trailers. Maybe machines do have hearts, but humans don't. Q Utada Hikaru. <laughs> I don't have so, to say on this chapter. No, no. It, um, you know what? In in a series that exists at the same time right now as Neolation, which seems to be pulling. <laughs> Pulling from actual real life things, it's weird that you would go to a digital MMO and be like, there's a huge conspiracy and not pull anything from the real life conspiracies and stuff like that are in MMOs. Like not like the real evilness that's existed in those or not even evilness, but like the real like horrible things gamers have done to fuck with that. Like the whole uh, plague (laughs) in World of Warcraft back in the day where they were like catching a disease from a raid boss and teleporting back into town and spreading it to everybody and it just wiped servers and shit. Like I don't like, I've never heard of this. <laughs> it's 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 a crazy story. There are there are people who basically just wiped entire servers in in, in WoW because of it. Uh um, wow. but there's nothing in here. It's just it's an evil dude who shows up to be evil. Yeah, I I, I kill people in a very inefficient manner. Yeah. And he's he's so irredeemably evil that it's like, I don't know. I don't feel anything I don't even necessarily want him to get beat because I don't particularly No anybody in this scenario that much well yeah and it's like you don't i don't i don't care enough about what he's doing to think like oh this guy's an asshole because it's just like all right he's so edgelordy that there's no like impact to him if you were gonna make him like even like a commentary on this type of player because there's some player playing this guy (laughs) Mm -hmm. maybe it'd be kind of cool but i feel like there's not gonna be anything like that and this is just what we get yeah he's bad because he kills people okay yeah. All right. We're going to move on then to Hell Warden Higuma. It's chapter nine, Kitsune part three. And uh, so in the last chapter, uh, Higuma had come across uh, the Kitsune who is in fact possessing the girl that we were introduced to last chapter, the girl who has a crush on him. And uh, so we have actually a some there is a similarity uh, Chris, between uh, this chapter and the chapter of Eden Zero, because a good chunk of it is dedicated to the motivation of our villain who just like wants to kill people. That's their motivation. Yeah. Um, guess which one does it better? <laughs> I'm going to assume the one that's not Eden Zero. Yeah. So. She slash he, whatever, the Kitsune goes on a rant about uh, how people always make such a big deal whenever a baby dies. It's like, wow. Okay. Uh, and then kind of rants like, Oh, look, I'm just going to go home at the end of a school day. And her beloved pregnant mom is waiting for her and her cute little sister too. Can you imagine what this face will look like when she cries after I skewer her mom's belly and the brat inside? Well, okay. 
That's a little extreme. Uh, so Higuma summons some of his uh, tools in order to fight. The two Bunresha uh, are coming down to help out. I don't. It's it's a weird little thing because at first um, he's talking to Ayaha on the phone, and then like two panels later, there she's just there. I guess the idea is that she was in transit and hanging on to um, the bot thing. I forget what his name is, uh, and. I think that she was like flying with him or something like that. It's hard to tell because she like falls down. I really don't know what happens. They were on the phone and then they're just talking in person. It's very confusing. But they're in the same place now. They show up at the scene where Higuma is fighting the Kitsune. And uh, the Kitsune is mocking him because it's like, hey, you know, all you have to do to stop me is just, you know, chop off an arm or a leg. Uh, But as uh, it is explained to Ayaha, it's like, see, if. He uses if he does that, though, he would hurt Muramachi uh, because Zaiju are powered by life force. They harm the living and the dead just the same. They're not like Abunresha's Hellblades, which only harm spirits and don't actually harm physical bodies, which seems like a flaw to me. Like, I don't know why, why you can do one and not the other, but whatever. I guess it's literally just intrinsic to the source of power that they draw from. <coughs> so. Basically, Higuma has to actually exercise the spirit first using a weaker Zaiju. And uh, so Ayaha's like, all right, well, we've got to help then. And uh, so they're trying to figure out what, when they can go in to, to uh, help out. Meanwhile, Higuma's fighting on his own. Uh, the Kitsune is ranting at him and basically says, like, you're having a really difficult time. And that's the problem with mortals is that you are always torn in so many different directions, trying to protect so many different things. You, whereas we spirits can just do anything we want. We can live however we want to live with no care for notions of good or evil and no mortal can possibly stand a chance against those of us unshackled from the rules of man. And uh, Higuma has a flashback to a conversation he had with Muramachi uh, where she's just you know crying while kind of like pouring her heart out to him saying, ever since my little sister was born, my mom and dad give her all the attention. When I go home, sometimes I think it doesn't matter if I'm there at all. But what I hate the most is myself for saying such selfish things. I want to become stronger and I'm tired of acting like a child. What should I do? Higuma comes back from this flashback and says, you're not free at all. All you've done is abandon your responsibilities. Everyone struggles with the conflict between reality and the way they want to live their lives. But it's by facing that struggle that they grow into better people. And all you've done is run away. You lack the perseverance to live a normal life like everyone else. And at first, the kids in there just kind of sees through this is like, oh, you're just trying to provoke me. What the hell are you, are you doing? But Higuma then drives it home by saying, so you kill children because you say you kill children because you hate them. You're the real child here. Grow up. And this actually really works. Um, the kids immediately freaks out, uh, says he's going to kill Higuma by um, grinding his flesh and mashing it into a paste and eating it for dinner. Okay. During this rant, uh, the two Bunresha sneak up on uh, Muromachi's body to try and attack. And uh, the Kitsune has completely seen through it. Uh, has been tracking them and attacks them with, like, these um, blades. I don't know exactly what they are, but they're kind of like little shuriken things. 
But Higuma had been planning for this. He used some of his Zaiju to get in the way of the attacks and block them. And this was all just uh, basically a double distraction so that he could attack from the front. He uses his number 11 Zaiju to knock the Kitsune out of Muromachi's body. Just big old fist punches him out. And uh, then they engage in sword combat. And uh, while they do so, Higuma remembers the conversation he had with uh, the Demon King Enma earlier. That if you keep this up, you're going to face the fugitive spirit's cries of anguish. And, you know, then you will realize that without exception, all fugitive spirits are pitiful. And while they're fighting, he has uh, uh, the Kitsune gets more and more demonic looking, freaking out more and more, crying out. How can I ever repay you for sharing your wisdom? Enema's lackey is here to show me the truth. How virtuous and noble. You say I lack perseverance, but you don't understand. Nobody like you, no boy, no child, girl, adult, anybody will ever understand my pain. And the Kitsune has transformed from the boyish looking figure into a taller, more womanly uh, looking one with long hair. Uh, And uh, yeah, that's where the chapter ends. So the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about Hellwar and Higuma, and I've been like, I'm kind of worried that this is, you know, just going to kind of peter out. But this chapter I actually really, really like Uh, this. I've said a few times before, gives me very much like early bleach vibes. And this definitely kind of like embodied some of the best of that. Uh, This heroic character who has the proper moral standing to look at it somewhat complex uh villain motivation be like that is absolute bullshit and i'm going to stop you and that's it yeah i could dig it gives you something more to care about mm-hmm. and you know it helps that the person that he is trying to save is someone that he does have a personal connection to so he has a personal history with them as opposed to this little girl i made a promise to save them so all right Neolation. Let's talk Neolation. Process 10, the spice of the match. So Boogie is getting challenged to a racing match by Brother Ta. And that's basically what they're doing. Uh, Ta basically has to give a big speech about why he's going to do it. There's like a small moment where he's kind of threatens like, oh, I could just, you know, report you to the police and then everything would be shut down. They're like, yeah, you know what? That's not really going to work because Mm -hmm. we'll just pop up somewhere else. There's so much money that goes through. You can't really kill it that way. Uh, while that's happening, Neo looks at Boogie's car and sees it as the Gavaldon patch on it uh, symbol. So he gets dun, really excited. Dun, 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 Sorry. Uh, oh, Brock Lesnar. Here we go. Yes. Uh, Brother Ta puts up the temple that he works at. It's actually his family's temple. I imagine it's a dreamy ad where uh, Daigo's sister even came to see him there. I don't know. It's a thing. Uh, but yeah, that's, sure that's a flashback, not a dream. I don't know. It's tough because I, I don't know. He's, he's kind of a weird dude. So I, in my mind, I assume that he believes he has such a strong even relationship his, with her. So even in his fantasies, he can't bring himself to confess to her. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, I think that's his reality for some reason. Okay. Uh, so yeah, that's the challenge. He's like, hey, I'm betting this and I have, I have everything to, to give right now, so I have to defeat you or else it's just going to keep going tomorrow and the next day and everything else like that. 
So Boogie gives this whole big speech. Uh, he basically, he's like, it's going to be such a great thrill. It's going to be great. So let's go go to the top, honey. And you're like, I always forget you have braces on until I see these sorts of shots. <laughs> uh, but then Neo says, hey, I'm going to be hanging along when we join in. Uh, and I've got a question for you. So uh, what's up with that animal symbol inside of your car? And uh, Boogie kind of has this look where he's like, Where are you? <laughs> and Neo says, If I win, I'll answer your question. If you win, you answer mine. So Boogie gets more excited because he's like, Ooh, this means it's, you're somebody else who's got a wicked beast inside of you. And we see a big uh, a big crow behind Neo. And then a big, almost kind of like ragdoll-like creature mm-hmm. with like uh, the comedy mask. Like it's, I think that this, it. I think that it's in two halves. It, I think it's comedy on one side and tragedy on the other because you can tell it's bisected mm. down the middle. It very, yeah, it very well might be both, uh, but it's a cool visual image. I like that. Also, his name is Boogie. Do you think that that Oogie is supposed Boogie? to be Oogie Boogie? Yeah, it's a very real possibility. Uh, I definitely am all for it. It's a weird place to put him in. But. I mean, if you if you want me to do like an oogie boogie impression, uh, whenever this guy talks, just let me know. Fine. Uh, you could go for it. All right. Um. So yeah, they they start up the race. They they get going, and Brother Tondo says, "Me, he's like, yeah, it's weird. It's kind of like what they said. He's not very good at driving. The skills aren't that impressive. I'm about to actually overtake him." Uh, and they he turns, he drifts around the corner, and he's Brother Todd's blown the fuck away by this. And I do like Neo, he's just like, isn't drifting kind of like a constant in, in I've seen drift? Fast and Furious a yeah. few times. <laughs> and he's like, Yeah, usually it is, but cars built after twenty fourteen now have a like they're mandatorily equipped with anti lock brakes. You can't do drifting cars that new because it, it the car like isn't physically possible of doing that and they're like oh well he's rewriting the car's program and i don't know they kind of frame it like it's evil and i'm like is it that evil like not really they're street racing already so it's yeah. hard for me to put a whole lot of emphasis on like this evil monster tampered with his car to make his street racing career better <laughs> listen 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 you can have a street race, but you ne- better not be playing Eurobeat songs while you do it. Okay? Yeah, it's a strange, uh, it's a strange angle there. Uh, but Neo's I do like, love that the big like this is the secret of their hacking. Like the last one, it was like he has an AI that predicts people's patterns and that controls people and makes them commit suicide. And this one is just like he makes the car do something that an older car could normally do. <laughs> <laughs> Now that he does the legal street races anyway. <coughs> so yeah, it's like Neo's like, all right, well, I'll just handle it and I'll basically help you gain the advantage on it. So you just handle everything else. And then Brother Ta at the end of the chapter is catching up with him. So that's where we're at. Yeah. Yeah, they hit a zip pad so that they got a speed boost. Mm-hmm. And he got yeah. three bananas, uh, which yeah. causes him. He's going to eat two of them just because he's right next to him. But he still has that last one left. Throw it mm. over a zip line. Then, yeah, you can get him over a jump, which mm. in old games would have been monstrous. Newer games still put you over the jump. So it's not too bad. Yeah. See, I was going for a Diddy Kong reference and you turned it into Mario Kart. So uh, I picked superior one. Good, sir. Uh, you did. I mean, there have been <laughs> too many Diddy Kong racing games, has there? <laughs> oh, poor Diddy Kong. 
All right. Uh, let's see. And when we never learn, it's yeah. it's it's the one hundredth chapter, Chris. The big one hundredth chapter, Nick, and it's a Kirisu chapter. There was a there was a big th- thing for chapter three hundred of Food Wars. Is there a big thing for chapter one hundred of We Never Learn? Not really. Uh, kind of potentially not. It's it seems like the big thing is going to happen in a later part of this mini saga that's going to happen instead. So. Uh, well, you know, of course, uh, with the hundredth chapter, though, it had to be a chapter focusing on the most popular character in the series. Yes, uh, for some reason. <laughs> no, gotcha. uh, no, so no, it's, it's, not it's, even close. It's, it's, we never learn question one hundred. The ice flower dances with X at Twilight Part One. Uh, so they start with a, a video that's about Kirisu talking about how she, you know, went from being a crazy great figure skater to now being. A, uh, uh, a teacher, an educational uh, fucking word, professional, whatever the fuck you call it, counselor, I guess. Yes. Uh, and they're like, oh, hey, I wonder why this is all popular. Kirsten doesn't give it too much of a fuck. Uh, but Kimiko? No, what's her name? What's Mizuho? Is that the mm-hmm. little sister? Miharu. Miharu. Miharu's there, and she's like, oh, yeah, mom and dad have been watching it over and over again. Uh, I'm not going to tell you to visit them, but you could at least call them sometime. So we... You could at least call parents occasionally. Yeah, why don't you try calling them every now and then? Yeah, that, that, that voice actually really helps. <laughs> <laughs> you could try calling every once in a while. Man, it sounds like I smoke cigarettes all the time now. <laughs> I'm just saying, you never call, you never come by. What are we doing here? Um, so, basically, she leaves the next day and gets mobbed by fans because she has become an internet sensation uh and a moment that very easily could be like the start of a horror series where a crowd of fans continue to hound her at every step uh she's literally kidnapped on the street like uega just i'm gonna help karisu sensei (laughs) snatches her from the sidewalk in a very like like mouth over like hand over mouth pulling her into the dark alleyway and of course every person just runs straight by it uh and then uh kirisu uh, hides her identity by wearing a big stupid hat (laughs) and putting on glasses and that's enough to confuse fucking everybody so i mean you know hot teachers don't wear uh glasses you know that's it just does not compute or outfits with fuzzy balls on them. Fuzzy balls. That's for, that's for fucking other people. In all fairness, it is an outfit that Kirisu has basically like never worn anything like uh, to this point because it's actually fashionable. So yeah, and we know that her style is professional. And then when she's at home, just fucking tracksuit. Yeah. So uh, she watches the video a little bit and she's like, oh, wow, this is crazy. And she sees it's like, holy shit, 10 million views. It's crazy. Um, and then uh, a waitress comes by is like, oh, what do you guys want to order? And Kirisu's like, I don't know. I'll just have whatever this is and points to an item <laughs> on the menu. And of course, it's uh, I don't even know what the fuck this is supposed to be like a fucking love parfait drink juice i don't yeah. know it's it's got so much nonsense and bullshit in it but it's clearly supposed to be something you would just drink uh so there's the whole well joke. To, to note they duck into a restaurant called cafe jetem or i don't know how to speak french but it means like the cafe of love so they basically went into like a couple's cafe mm. so yay 
Also, like, apparently she's just like, I'll just drink drink it myself. But then two bitches behind her, like, are you? Is she seriously gonna drink that whole thing by herself? She's like, final sure. It's like. Yeah, so there's the whole thing that they drink it together, and she's like, you, you forget about it. Never fucking, never mind it. You just forget all about it. Uh, Miharu calls and is like, bad news. They found your apartment. And again, this is where the horror story comes <laughs> Who <back>. doxed Kirisu? <laughs> where she's like, like, she should be screaming out of horror, like, oh, God, they found out. Don't come back. Find a new life somewhere else. But she's like, you can't come back to your apartment for a little bit, I guess. Yeah, they'll just give up after an hour or two. <laughs> yeah, you need to wait for your 15 minutes of fame to flame out and then you need you need to wait go until back the, to your house. You need to wait until the stars go down. <laughs> uh, so she's like, ah, oh, shit, I guess I need to find a way to kill some time. I don't really know how to do that. So Yuga's like, I don't know, what if I take some time and hang out with you? Uh, so they go to like a vending machine. Uh, or not of any, but she crane game and they're playing that and they're, they're, you know, they go bowling. Of course, Kirisu's perfect at that too, which is weird. Cause I always assumed that she's, I guess it's everything athletic. She's talented at. Well, they, however, before that they established that she's actually having a really difficult time with the crane game until they push the button together. Mm. <laughs> so apparently she's not perfect at everything. I do like the detail later on that when they go clothes shopping, she's like, Ooh, a new track. Yeah. <laughs> So eventually they're sitting on like the side of a, a road and like one of those like little grassy kind of inclines. Uh, and Kirisu kind of uh, brings up like, hey, you know, I know that you're, you're going for an education degree. And he's like, yeah, you know, it's kind of what's happened. She, she says that I can't condone it. Uh, you know, you put so much work into everything, that VIP recommendation, you're throwing it all away based on the fleeing emotion. You know, I can't really, can't really support that. And uh, Yuri is like, you know, you had more fun today than you expected, right? And he says, whether or not something's fun or the right choice, ultimately, you don't know for sure until it's over. And knowing that, I decided I wanted to be true to how I feel. And flashback! We see a flashback with Kirisu, uh, basically having that exact same line repeated to her by someone else. Some some guy with his jacket thrown over his shoulder, because he's a very cool dude. He's a cool teacher. Yeah, He's a very, it's- very cool dude. Do you think this is supposed to be Yuiga's dad? Possibly. I mean, it's not unbelievable if that's the case. Because he looks like, you know, he's dressed professionally and stuff. It could very well be like a teacher because she's dressed for school. She's, you know, wearing the high school uh, uniform that uh, is that for Ichinose Academy. And we know that Yuiga's father was like a teacher. So it's entirely possible, uh, since she went to the same school as him, that maybe he taught her at some point. Yuga's father did. Now, I could be entirely wrong because we you know, have never really gotten a good look at Yuga's father. So this could very well just be just someone completely unrelated. It could be her own father for all we know. Yeah. Um, but it, that would be not, an interesting that would be an interesting uh, connection. It would be. I'm assuming it's not her father since she seems to be estranged from her parents. Mm-hmm. And this seems to be like a powerfully motivating moment. Yeah, someone that, that she someone that she like admired as a kid. So so we're going to see. Uh, but yeah, then uh, Yue kind of wakes her out of it. Uh, Miharu calls and is like, this is it. This is it. Uh, and she finds out that the ice skating company that Miharu works for says they saw the video and they want her 
Harrison Kirisu to join the show. They're going to make her an offer so she could join. She could go do her figure skating dream again. Indeed. Kirisu hangs up the phone and she says, uh, I don't know what to do. What should I do, Uega? Mm-hmm. So I guess we're going to find out. Also, Miharu is kind of a bitch during this bit because she's like, you're going to be such a hot commodity after this. You'll have no need to continue this meaningless path as a teacher. Wow. Okay, just take right. a dump on my career path, why don't you? you. <laughs> see, this is why I don't want to see Mom and Dad. <laughs> yeah, I just don't want to see them because you're going to be nearby. <laughs> When it's just you around, I could just like silently ignore you and hope that you die. <laughs> when mom and dad are there, I have to pretend I like you. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, this was a this was an all right chapter. Um, I am actually really uh, into seeing what's going to happen from this uh, because it seems like Kirisu, as much as we see a lot of her, it's always her like just getting into embarrassing situations because you know the appeal of her character is that she's so uh straight backed and freaking uh perfect about everything and then she keeps on landing in these embarrassing situations that uh expose her incompetence about anything unrelated to teaching and this is something that is more related to just her growth as a person and the little sagas that we've gotten so far that have been you know with aruka and with fumino have been really good so uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with her. And uh, maybe it will make her, me like her more as a character. It definitely worked with Fuminos. So. Very much so. Let's move on to Dr. Stone. It is chapter 95. Z equals 95, rather. First contact. But before we get into the chapter itself, there is a whole big color pages celebration of Dr. Stone's two-year anniversary. And uh, there's, uh, you know, talking about like, hey, if you participate in the character popularity poll in Japan, then you get to show up as a a petrified statue in the anime. And I do really like the little bit uh, where uh, uh, Chrome's like, oh, you're going to be animated as in moving around and stuff. And so he's like, you're going to be petrified. So no. (laughs) But uh, then we get a big two page color uh, cover, which looks fucking awesome. I want this as like a poster. It, it looks so, it looks so cool. All right, so two different uh, things happen in this chapter. Basically, the first is a just a kind of a cute little uh, mini thing that happens because uh, Suika has basically completely tamed the boar that uh, that she and Francois were going to cook. And uh, they're using him now to go and uh, locate the oil field. And uh, Suika's like, ah, this little guy's name's Sagara now. And, it, we're, and friendship starts by learning each other's names. And they get back to the oil field. Sagara rolls around in the, in the oil. And yep, they got it. Uh, they can harvest it now. And Senku gets to work. Uh, they've discovered the Sagara oil field. Yay. And uh, from that, they're able to start, you know, setting up freaking... They work really quickly. Like they, they're harvesting this shit fast. And Suika celebrates with Sagara, and then she realizes, "Oh, but now Francois's gonna cook you." Suika doesn't want to say goodbye, and so Senka's like, "Hey, Francois, is this boar worth eating?" And Francois like, Francois says, "Nah, nah, sticks of oil. It'll suit it to my cuisine." And Senka's like, "Yeah, so either let him loose or keep him. Whatever, it's up to you." And Suika's like, "Yay, we're friends now." And 
Segu just says to Ukyo as they're walking away, it'd be bad for morale if we don't acknowledge our troops' accomplishments. And Ukyo says, was that the real reason? Segu's like, do I need another reason? So fuck off. Like, Shut up. I don't care about people. Science. Yeah. And uh, Cigar's got a little collar now. So, Chris, um, Itagaki seems to really like characters considering eating pigs and then adopting them instead. This is the second time that this has happened with one of his series. Chris, are we connected still? I don't know if we're connected still. If we are, then Chris isn't talking to me. Oh, well. I'm just going to keep on going through the chapter. So, uh, Senku makes a freaking motorboat with their uh, power by the oil. And uh, at that point, uh, they've got, you know, gasoline that they're putting in. And uh, there's a little bit of a callback to chapter one because Taiju says that he smells love potion. And everyone's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And Taiju says, it was that stuff you whipped up in the science lab back in the day. That stuff that gave me the courage to confess to Yuzuriha. That was the final moments of the end of the day before we all got petrified. And Seku has a flashback to, oh, yeah, I did do all that stuff. Man, I used to look different back then. I looked way more douchebaggy, didn't I? Uh, and Senku's like, oh, wow, you you still believe that after all this time? It, that was gasoline. I wasn't actually making... Anyway, but hey, that's a good sign, though, because the gasoline that I made back then was, was really, really uh, potent stuff. So that means that the amount that we've made here is also really good gasoline. And Ukyo, or not Ukyo, rather, uh, Ryusui says, like, oh, that's actually, you know, we've we've kind of finally caught up to that point before the disaster then. The last bit of science you did in the old world, you're now doing here in the new world. And we're about to go beyond. And uh, a bunch of the boys go riding out on, on the motorboat. Uh... And they're going to go basically test it out. They get out to sea a little ways. Uh, the coast is still in view, but it's um, you can't. But they don't really know actually exactly where their the way back is, which gets Chrome kind of worried. And Ryusu says, well, we've got the sextant, so we can use that to get back. But uh, Gen points out that the accuracy is actually not all that good. And Senka says, yeah, we're going to need a much more reliable me- means of doing that. We're going to make a GPS. And I love the reaction panel of uh, Ryusui and Ukyo and Gen. I'll be like, GPS. And meanwhile, Chrome, of course, has no idea what the fuck they're talking about. So he's just picking his nose behind them. So. Chrome's and, the second smart one in that group. Yeah, but he doesn't know what a GPS is. So he's like, oh. <laughs> um. So Senku briefly explains uh, how, how they work, but he uses, you know, like terms like satellites and car navigation. And Senku's like, ah, OK. Uh, again, points out we can't make satellites, though. And Senku says, you're right. So instead of using satellites in space, we're going to shoot out crazy strong radio waves from a tower back on the mainland. And they communicate this over to Suika and Kaseki, which uh, sets off this very powerful radio wave burst which they use to, uh, you know, calculate stuff with an antenna. And uh, meanwhile, uh, Ruri and Chrome are talking on a cell phone. 
Ginro comes by and is like, hey, Ruri, you know, that first call from Chrome, he was too cowardly to tell you how he felt. So this is the first call between Lan and C. So why don't you do the talking, Ruri? Girls are allowed to make the first move, too. And there is a kind of cute moment where Ruri's like, well, whatever could you mean? Um, she's all embarrassed. And everyone's like, come on, do it, do it, do it, do it. So she gets on the phone and she's like, everyone's trying to get me to. And then there's a huge burst of static. And uh, again, it's like, ah, what a what a cliche. The fact that you can't communicate. So, yeah, it is a little bit cliche, whatever. But Ukiya realizes that wasn't static. We got a huge signal from somewhere else. It, I have no idea what direction it came from, but we just got another signal. And Ryusui is like, could have been like something for space and say, says, no, no, no. This was no natural phenomenon. It was deliberate, tuned to exactly the same frequency we're on, meaning when we activated our powerful signal tuner, someone or something took notice. And they have no idea who it could be, but then they realize that there are bursts of static going through their speaker that they're receiving a Morse code message. And Senku says, it's a message for us. And they spell it. They start again. Starts to spell it out. It's like it's coming. They're doing the same string over and over again. Uh, it's W H Y, and we get this visual of this like double mouthed skull face going why 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 why, and everyone is freaked out except Senku, who's like eh, and that's the end of the chapter. So happy fucking second birthday, Doctor Stone. I mean, it's a really great chapter to kind of like put a new like direction into for this this little arc because this is almost like a horror movie like how this kind of is is, is starting off um <laughs> but i i do like it like this they get started off like this very like simple adventure of like oh we're gonna drive around this boat no we're gonna have this oh little, uh, this little and sweet gets, gets to adopt a little pig just like buta baros and i show 21 yeah it's all it's very sweet and then it ends with this this horrifying moment of like someone just screaming why over and over again you're like fuck all right yeah like i chill it's it's caught my attention in a way that i I desperately wanted so yeah Um, what the hell is gonna happen next yeah and it also it also ties into what uh, ryusui was saying when they set off in the boat like we've caught up to the point that we were at before this is the next leg of our journey and yeah they've gotten everything set up so that they can Almost at this point, actually set sail, but there's an entire new danger or, you know, opportunity, possibly both waiting out there for them with something or someone who knows how to communicate via radio and via Morse code. So, hmm. all right. Seven Deadly Sins. It's chapter 301. Uh, Everyone's wish. Yes. So last time the demon Lord is taking over Melodius's body. Then Bond showed up and he's like, I'm going to kick your ass. He <laughs> says it like two or three times or something. <laughs> and that's where this chapter picks up as uh, the demon Lord's just like, I'm sorry. Did you say you're going to kick my ass? Uh, and he's like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And uh, he throws uh, Hawk over to safety. Uh, and King's like, hey, I know you're not. I know you're immortal, but like you just you, you, this guy's still too much. <coughs> and and uh, bon, Bond's just like, yeah, uh, but I'm not immortal anymore. I resurrected Elaine, and there went all the fountains of youth. But uh, he doesn't seem too concerned about this because he nope. says it's time to kick him to the curb. Uh, 
But then the Demon Lord says, this is the power of a god. And he unleashes a move that, uh, I don't know what it does. I don't know if it's his wind. It almost looks like a hurricane of blood that becomes like, based on the way the art's drawn, almost looks like it becomes like a fleshy cocoon. But I'm not 100% positive what it is. I think that that's him tearing apart the cocoon that he came out of. So, like, the vortex that he summons just rips away everything that is surrounding him. Gotcha. Uh, but even after everything happens, Bond's still staying there. And uh, he says, yeah, well, compared to hell, this is almost cute. So they have an exchange of blows, a uh, bunch of hits back and forth. Uh, and they note that, wow, it's crazy. Bond's holding his own against the Demon Lord. Uh, there's even some moments where it feels like a real wrestling match where like he grabs by the head, starts like kneeing him in the fucking yeah. shoulder and shit like that. Uh, but they're getting blows back and forth. But what's shocking to everybody is that some of his blows seem to even be really affecting the Demon Lord. And, yeah, he's got uh, he's got some blood coming out of his mouth and stuff. Yeah. And uh, they note that uh, it's not just him that's doing this. And uh, we see internally there is a struggle happening because the demon lord is being confronted by melodious his and, conscience yes and uh he says that i am the demon lord bringing death and horror is my mission and duty and uh melodious responds by giving him just the the back elbow from fucking hell and it's this it's the superman elbow it just fucking clocks him and then says that is your sin to finish off the chapter yeah, it's cool stuff. It's weird because we had two very just action intense uh, punching exchanges this week. And this one just feels a lot better. And it goes back to, I think, what you were saying about panel layouts. Like you can much more easily follow the action in this chapter, even though there's not I mean, there's not as much of it. But like, you know, when you point out uh, with uh, Bond doing his knee strikes to the Demon Lord, you could there's the moment right before that where he grabs him around the back of the head and then it goes straight into that. And then he's backed off by the blaze that the Demon King is swirling around. Then you see Bond is, may, is able to poke a little bit in between the strikes. But then he gets it, like all the action just flows into itself and you can see how one moment flows into the next so much more easily. Yeah, I, I do think it plays into it, and um, I, I am kind of excited to see it. It's, it's a bit strange that we're not getting, like, a, a chapter to reveal all the Demon King's super evil awesome powers. Yes. But at the same time, <laughs> yeah, we might still have time for it, but at the same time, also, like, we've had, like, six straight months of that sort of stuff going on for a while, yeah. so I'm also not against the idea of just moving straight on. Yeah, or just, like, fucking punch each other, Yeah. Yeah. All right. From there, we're going to move on to the Promised Neverland, chapter one hundred twenty-four. Tell us. Uh, so last time, Emma and Norm and uh, Emma and Ray rather went to go speak with Norman uh, regarding bringing up Emma's concerns about Norman's plan. But when they got to his office, instead they met up with uh, the three strong, three of the strong people who work under him. Uh, we're introduced to all of them. Uh, Vincent is still there. But also there is a big bulky guy with a crew cut and an X pattern in his hair, too, named Cislo. And then there is a tall girl with a ponytail who keeps on eating legs of meat named Barbara. And uh, they're all kind of like freaked out by, by them because Barbara and Cislo just kind of keep on... <laughs> Uh, 
Yeah, they they stare a lot. I think Nick unplugged his his mic when he went to do that. So <laughs> uh, we're just gonna we're gonna hold off for a quick moment and wait for Nick to get this plugged back in. Here we okay. go. Okay, I'm plugged back in. Uh, I'm so glad. Check. There we go. Check. 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 Check to make sure it's got the right uh, hookup, though. Okay, microphone. It says it's changed to Yeti now. Okay, okay good. You're good. All right, I'm going to uh, not do any theatrics like that for the rest <laughs> of the uh, session then. Emma and Ray are kind of freaked out because the pe- people are really intimidating, just getting right in their faces. No sense of personal space. And Sisla uh, says, like, hey, you guys are from Gracefield, right? Well, we're also escapees, got it. And, like... Emma is kind of freaked out, but I was like, what the fuck is he talking about? And then Cicero just steps up on the table. and is like, we're actually way more amazing. I was like, yeah, we're destroying farms. And Emma's like, wait, are they? And Vincent's like, yeah, they're just like really childishly competing with you. They're, they're worried because like, you know, no, they're Norman. They want to be Norman's favorites, basically. And so Ray kind of cuts through the tension a little bit. But he's like, oh, wow, you guys are. Oh, you guys are amazing. You're 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 crazy good. We we can never pull that off. I'm so impressed. Just so insincere looking, like if not sounding, because he's just like Ugh, while he's doing this. But Cicero and Barbara are like, yeah, we are pretty great, aren't we? That so worked out pretty well. Ray is you know looking around at them and you know remembering like, oh, these guys must be irregulars like Zazi and Adam are. Uh, so. They're acting like this while they're in the boss's room. So they're not foot soldiers like Hayato or Jin. They're higher up. So I should avoid trouble for now. And for some reason, I really love that when he thinks this, he's just, you know, like kind of casually sitting down, like staring off into space, paying attention to no one. It's like, I've got tea now. It's like, mm. it's just, he doesn't give a shit. <laughs> so Emma tries to be friendly, saying, oh, thank you for yesterday because, you know, you treated Chris and Dominic. And uh, Vincent's like, yeah, I hope that they get better soon. Um, and Barbara's like, ah, that's what we want to know about. And Cicely's like, yeah, tell us stories about him. And they're like, yeah, tell us stories about the boss, uh, you know, Minerva, James, or as you guys call him, Norman. Tell us about Norman. Uh, and they're like, oh, got it, got it. Okay. So they're just really obsessed followers of his. They want to know about him. And Sissel's like, yeah, the morning when I came back from patrol, the kids downstairs were talking about it. I was told that the boss was acting completely different yesterday. How different? Like, what kind of person is Norman? Tell us. And Emma just says, well, I don't think he's really changed all that much from before because he's kind, smart, always smiling warmly. Uh, and she refer- remembers that even when he would beat her at games, he would just be smiling. Uh, and Cicely and Barbara were like, well, then he's completely different from that. So they're like, well, what is he like now? And they use words to describe him as serious winter emperor. And Ray spits out his coffee because he's laughing. <laughs> they're like, emperor. <laughs> so they're like, uh, well, can't you tell us more stuff about what he was like when he was a kid? You know, embarrassing stories. And Ray's like, you mean like he used to wet his bed until he was 10 years old? Yes, like that. I mean, he didn't, though. I mean, he didn't wet the bed. So, OK, there's a story. I mean, there was a time when he was sick with the cold and, and you know, just time goes by and they have a good they have a good time together. Um, and 
clearly like the three of them are, are very entertained by the stories that they're told. And they bond over their shared connection with Norman. Uh, and when Emma starts to ask about how Norman currently is, they say, it's like, Oh, he's, he's still a good person. He cares about his friends, but he's not really smiley. He's not warm. He is very dedicated and he sacrifices time and his sleep in order to save people. And we were all saved by him. Uh, he was the one who made us realize this power and how to use it. Uh, and it was like, you mean your powers from Lambda? Yes. Cause we are comrades who met in Lambda Farm is 7214. Originally, me and Barbara were from Goodwill. Vincent was born in Glory Bell, and the three of us obtained power from the vile experiments at Lambda. Every day was like hell. A bunch of children died or were killed. We were treated worse than objects. And if the boss hadn't come, I wouldn't be alive. A 12-year-old kid looked like God to me at that moment. And they basically, they are almost sycophants of Norman at this point. That's the impression that eventually comes out during their conversation. Uh, and they're like, and, you know, his strategies are perfect. Our power and victory are absolute. So I can't wait. I can't wait to kill them all soon. Every time I kill a demon, I feel better. And Barbara's like, yeah, my anger dissipates when I kill them and eat their meat. And they're like, you're eating demon meat now? Ah, they're so freaked out. Yeah, yeah. It's from a, it's a staffer from the farm we attacked the other day pisses me off that they keep eating us um <laughs> Excuse but me. yeah so they uh they're basically incredibly hell-bent on revenge barbara says that just killing them isn't enough the rotary clan the demons can all experience what we did and of course as she goes on this rant emma looks you know freaked out and disturbed by this and Barbara's like, what's with that look? You're not feeling sympathy for the demons, are you? Why aren't you looking happy? You were raised as food. Don't you think that, you know, you want to kill the demons? Hey, you said you wanted to talk to the boss. It's not going to be something like changing his plan, is it? And she starts, you know, wrecking the table that she's standing on and ripping it up. And and Cicelo's just like, stop it. Stop it. But Vincent says, even if you were here to change the plan, it's too late to do so. There's no change. Boss has expedited the plan and started the operation this morning. Even if we were to go after him now, we wouldn't make it. By the time he comes back, no one can stop it. We went to go and see one of the pawns. And we cut over to where Norman is. He has traveled with uh, Zazi. And there's also someone else there with them in a black uh, cloak. And uh, he's there meeting with a bunch of demons. And Norman says he's come to form an alliance. Let's work together to destroy this world. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. Do you think he's there to betray all of them and kill them all? Or he's, I don't know. It's it's weird. It's it's going to be a weird thing that he says, like, yeah, I'm going to kill all the demons. And then he's going to work together with demons to do, in order to accomplish whatever his goal is. Um, it's entirely possible that these are demons who like are going to be granted sanctuary or something. Maybe they just fucking hate themselves and other demons and want everything to end. Uh, who knows? I'm sure we'll find out soon. I do enjoy that this chapter was a way to kind of like show that Barbara and what Cisco Cislo. Cislo. Uh, making them look like weirdo kind of like hangers on. Like every yeah. handle of them is them with these big, huge eyes. Like be like, ooh, ooh. 
Uh, I do think this is the one chapter that if it wasn't clear that our interpretation of hashtag Ray is different from the original Ray, because there is not a chance in the world hashtag Ray would have gotten to the point where he's like, oh, they they're just in a fight by trying to look cool that hashtag Ray wouldn't have immediately gotten into it where they're like No, I'm going in there. <laughs> where they're like, Oh, you know, we fight off demons, we're pretty cool. And he's like, I hold a gun once. <laughs> I hold a gun once. <laughs> I'm pretty I'm pretty agile. I can beat Super Mario sixty four in five minutes. <laughs> I've done all the mirror match courses on Mario Kart sixty four. <laughs> You're the losers. Well, we only play Diddy Kong Racing here. It's like, oh, you, you assholes. <laughs> you have no taste. <laughs> you win this round. <laughs> ah, they're way more. They're. <laughs> oh, God. So, yeah. Um, looking forward to what comes of this. It is. It was actually uh, nice to see, like, tension building between uh, Emma and people who are following Norman's plan without it happening with Norman yet. Uh, kind of a good way of having your cake and eating it too uh, for the time being until we actually reach that point. Mm-hmm. All right. What a Black Clover page 194 outrage. I have to like remind myself what happened in this. Chapter. It's all about Charmy, Chris. No, that's right. You know, it's all about Charmy. That's all coming back. So last time, Charmy went into the mirror of the dark world after, uh, you know. And she got separated from him, but ended up in the place where uh, Asta and Mosa are fighting Elfril. And, um, I don't know, it was like hell, but she just walked straight past everything so she can go offer a bunch of food to uh, Elfril, who's kind of having a, like, crisis of, like, life right now he's he's like ah, i i don't want to draw things that are this warped but the humans are kind of making me do it i, I have to draw monsters to a way to fight these guys but i don't want to uh and charmy's like why don't you eat some of this food and he just fucking slaps it away he's like no i'm not gonna eat anything you make and uh charmy's like that's no way to treat food and the big the big sheep shows up and uh, is about to punch him and uh, Elfril's like, well, in order to create, you must first destroy. Uh, and it's maybe the only like favorite part of this chapter is he just blasts her stupid fucking shit away. And somebody's like, oh, fuck you, you're stupid cheap. Uh, but she's, she's been blasted away. Uh, but all of a sudden, there's a chill. Everyone stops. Like, ooh, what just happened? And uh, she gets up, and uh, you, you see the sheep as like stitches across its nose and it's like can i come out now and uh, we see charmy's spell book start to change start to like lose some of the 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 white on it, it becomes a black spell book well one cover becomes black and the other is white yeah and they're like this is oh and she gets up and she's she has an adult's body now and she has a giant wolf behind her and they're like, oh, you're a human dwarf hybrid. And there's like a dwarf. And she's like, a dwarf. Yeah. And immediately like this big hole, like all oh, her hidden dark side thing turns into a joke. Yeah. No one, no one knew about this. Uh, but apparently dwarves are another race like elves um, who I don't know what's supposed to separate them. From anything else at this point? Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really establish uh, what exactly they are. So I guess maybe you could say that that's the reason why she's so short all the time. But why mm-hmm. would when her dwarf powers be activated, that's when she well, maybe, stops being short? 
I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, she, maybe because she, they are part of her body, and now that they're manifested as part of her grimoire, instead, the influence on her body has gone from her body into the book and her magic. Very real possibility. So uh, she uh, basically kind of points like, "Hey, wait, aren't you supposed to be a sheep?" And the wolf's like, "Shut up!" And um, <laughs> she's like, "All right, I'm hungry." And Elfrell's like, "You're irritating. Even if you are half elf, half dwarf, you're not gonna get in my way. So vanish." And the wolf's like, "Yeah, let's get all that." And uh, turns out, Charmy's magic isn't just uh, cotton magic. She has two magics, cotton magic and food magic, and uh, her her wolf is gobbling up all of the spells that Rill created, like a giant uh, buffet, and uh, they say that being from two races will occasionally give people two magical attributes. Sure, why not? Everything else does. <laughs> and uh, yeah, she's devouring all the magic faster than Elf Rill can draw it. Uh, and she goes in for her big attack where she screams, this is for protein, boom, and this one's for fat, boom, and then this one is for the carbs, kaboom, she blasts them away into nothingness. Uh. In th- on paper, like, I think that this chapter has some good stuff going for it. Um, I like the, uh, you know, symbolism of the wolf in sheep's clothing. And uh, the contrast of like she normal, she creates food and this one is her just devouring all magic. Honestly, the visual of the wolf just devouring everything that real has drawn is really cool. Mm. Um, that said, I really don't like that. Like this is turned into a joke just because Charmy is being such a goofball while she's doing all this stuff. It just doesn't, you know, entertain me when she acts that way. And it really seemed to lessen the impact of this reveal when she's going like, Aah! Um, also, I I can, like, I, you know, remarked, like, it's another case of, oh man, she's special because she's got two types of magic. It's like, if you want to have someone have two types of magic, can you at least not act like it's special at this point? Everyone does. Like, we've seen them, like, they made a big deal out of, like, trying, like, secret evil experiments were occurring to try to give people two types of magic at once. This person is like parts grafted onto them in order to make sure that they can have two different types of magic. So apparently that's completely unnecessary. Yeah, you just need to fucking have one of the eight different types of magic that can copy other magics or just be a a half dwarf. I think that's maybe the only part that really bothers me because I do think it's a cool reveal of like the way she kind of stands up and like seeing her in a form that's not like little chibi version that just runs around giving food to people uh but like and having like a cool looking form and everything like that that you kind of mentioned uh it's just something weird about like in the middle of this abruptly being like oh and there are dwarves too it's like what are special about dwarves it's a reason she's got two sets of magic (laughs) and i'm like does that mean anything like i assume this is like a tease to dwarves being a thing or something like that but it just felt like one of those things it's also one of those parts too where i'm just like does every fucking member of the black bulls have to be super special awesome not that it's i don't know it's one of those things where you're like I start to have a problem understanding why no one took these people into their guild if all of them are like, 
except magnus slash he's except magnus slash he's kind of a goober (laughs) yeah he's like the one idiot that no one actually cares about but like no other guild would ever take this they're like one super powerful rookie just send him to the black bulls with the rest of them (laughs) super powerful rookie but they're an asshole (laughs) yeah no one wants wrapped an asshole with a ton of talent anyway get on my team you know (laughs) so yeah, I actually messed. I actually sent a tweet to Annalise this morning saying, "Like, um, is Black Clover a parody of Shonen Battle series?" And she's like, "Not as far as I know, but there are certain parts of it where I'm reaching the point where it sort of seems like it's a deliberate just gag on, uh, you know, Shonen Battle tropes. You know, the idea that something is super special and then it just keeps on happening. Uh, a, you know, a big transformation happens and then it's." kind of made light of because of the because the character is just acting like their old self basically um that said i mean like i'm sure that i think that what it comes down to is just that black clover is about having a honestly pretty wide cast of very colorful very extreme characters and you know it's easy to attach yourself to different characters when you've got a wide cast that they're all so very very energetic like that the problem, I think, is that so many of them just meet the uh, go for the portrayal of just super energetic and weird. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of it. <clears throat> um, and if that grates on your nerves, then a lot of them act that way, but with different little quirks to their character. And that's kind of it, which is why we you know, like uh, Zora so much is because he yeah shouts a lot, but it's to be a huge dick to people. And it's not like I've got to be the strongest he's you know, different. And I think that honestly, I would just, what it comes down to is I would like black Clover a lot more. If not everyone acted exactly like how Charmy acts in this chapter. Um, but that's not going to happen. So. All right. So we're going to finish things off then with one piece chapter 934 Hyogoro, the flower. Uh, we start off this chapter on the, Big Mom ship, which apparently survived the fall from the waterfall without capsizing. Only Big Mom apparently fell into the ocean and nobody else. So they're kind of figuring out what they're going to do about all this because some of them are worried. Uh, they point out that you know her Viva card is still intact, which means she is alive, uh, but they don't know what's happened to her. They wonder if she's been captured and also, you know, maybe she's just, you know, uh, washed up on shore and in which case she's in enemy territory and they're like hey you know it's no joke here she's on her own against you know kaido and his army so it's uh there's also a note by one of them that they used to be uh, comrades but now they're foes uh so they're like if they capture her, they're probably going to kill her and so prospero's like then the big vampires will become the peripheral pirates eh? everyone's like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> We would have no. The captain would be kind of curious. Like, no, no, we operate on seniority. I just decided this just now. Well, now I do love that. It's just good that this guy is just like, oh no, mom's dead. I guess I'll be the boss. <laughs> what an asshole. Uh, but smoothie is like, nah. Mother's going to mother's going to be okay. Basically, we see that uh, Chopper's group is traveling from Curry towards Udon. Uh, they are briefly in communication with, uh, 
what's his fucking name? Hitetsu, the Tengu looking guy. And uh, he's you know trying to warn them. He's like, hey, no, no, what's going on here? Come, come on, what, what, look, what, 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 where are you doing? You can't go there. It's Momonosuke there because Kinemon entrusted me with your safety, which is why I'm here and not over there. Uh, and okay, Otama says, like, don't worry about Momo because I'm going to watch over him as a Kunoichi. It's like, aw, cute little kids playing, playing uh, soldier and king and stuff here. Yeah. Um, and they're like, come on, no, you can't do that. You're, a, you're not even a rookie. So g- come back here. And Otama gets upset about this. Uh, but she passes the communicator over to Kiku. Now Kiku says, look, I, I'm with them. The journey has begun. So just let the others know. And he does like, no, no, you can't. Ah, and he gets hung up on, um, big mom is now traveling with them. She apparently beat the crap out of a shark gator, which, uh, Presumably, then Otama used her. I'm not even sure if Otama used her ability on it later or if it's just scared of Big Mom, honestly, because <laughs> he looks very upset about, about its situation. Um, and it's got two big lumps on its head from where she hit it. And Chopper is sitting on top of the lumps like a fucking weirdo. Um, and Big Mom's just like, I'm hungry. And she occasionally just looks at Chopper while she's drooling. And he's like, stop looking at me like that. He was called a was he called a was he called a pet or a snack on one of the posters, I think. So mm. uh, he was he was a pet for the struggles okay. on his bounty poster originally. Okay. Uh, we get an explanation from uh, Okiku. And, and Sanji is referred to him as the emergency food supplies. Right. Food supplies. That's it. OK. That was what I was thinking. Okiku points out a map, a rough map of uh, Wano and says, like, it's going to be a bit of a long journey in order to get uh, to Udon, where the prison camp is. And we've also got to go across the river in order to get there. And so we get a, a good layout of of uh, of, the, of all the land. Um, I assume that, as she says, it's a rough sketch that the river is not this straight uh, in reality, because it looks like, wow, this this island looks like it was planned. So. Um, we get also a brief little detail because Momonosuke is still practicing his swordsmanship with a, you know, a kendo stick. And uh, when he uh, strikes with uh, his uh, stick against, I think, the top of the poor shark gator's head, uh, he lets out a battle cry of Sunach. And Okiku says, where did you learn that? And uh, Momonosuke says, oh, uh, it's a shout used by foreign swordsmen. Zorodro taught me how to use it. He said it is a charm to bolster one's courage when it is in short supply. And Okiku says, this one forbids you to use it. Perhaps it is only coincidence, but there is a similar practice among the older sayings of Kuri. And it is not the sort of call meant for you to use, Lord Momonosuke. Momonosuke is like, well, why not? It's not? It just isn't. Shut up. Explanation comes later. But, you know, it's like a weird little detail that uh, I'll come back later. Um, we then see that uh, Robin and Brooke and uh, Nami and the rest have managed to get away from that whole situation. Uh, Robin has left Otoko at the pleasure hall, so they're no longer with her. And uh, she's like, I hope that she's going to be OK because she incurred the Shogun's wrath after all. Uh, Nami says, when we go check on her, why don't we visit, why don't we go check on her and then visit a bathhouse in town? I'm exhausted. 
And Shinobu says, well, we'll have to go in disguise. The baths and the drinking water are all under Orochi's control. And Robin's like, I agree, though. Let's take a break. Um, Robin is kind of being pretty hard on herself because she's like, the only information I could glean, though, was Orochi's waking time on the day of the big battle. The contents of the offerings of the Shogun's procession and will take to Onigashima. The feast time, Kaido's favorite food, his crew's hierarchy, the number of their men and weapons. And <laughs> goes on and on and on about all this stuff she learned until he's like, oh, my God, you discovered so much. Um, also, Brooke has um, had a bit of luck with uh, uh, the Poneglyph Stones. He says that he was unable to bring a copy of the text and also it was not a red Poneglyph, but. He says he found it in soul form, so he was unable to actually, you know, write it down because of that. He says it was in an odd room full of carved wooden dolls, which uh, Shinobu realizes is Kokeshi dolls. And uh, so Robin theorizes that the road poneglyph is in Onigashima. So they're like, all right, now let's go. Let's go see about. Uh, about oh, rather, Brooke says, all right, let's go take a bath. And they're like, no, 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 not you. You stand out. You're a fucking skeleton. <laughs> <laughs> what? No. Come on. Let Brooke take a bath. Hashtag let Brooke take a bath. <laughs> what would he even watch? Oh. Uh, so, in the flower capital, news has spread of Kumurasaki's apparent death, uh, including the detail that Kyoshiro specifically cut her down, which has got some people really pissed off, and they're like, don't fucking say that, because the Kyoshiro family will fucking kill you if you say that. Um... Sanji in Ibisu Town is also really, really upset. And everyone around him is just like, you only barely saw her once. Why are you so upset? And Sanji says, the death of a beautiful woman is a loss for the entire world, idiot. It's nice to be reminded that there is also a weird chivalrous side to his um, perversion. Loss notes in the newspaper that there is a detail that her funeral is tomorrow. Uh... And uh, so they're trying to also figure out what's going on with uh, the other people in the straw hats. They're out doing stuff uh, and they say, OK, well, let's get in touch with them with the smart snail as in a smartphone mm-hmm. transponder snail. Uh, and meanwhile, Sanji is trying to discuss stuff with them, but he's also, you know, hefting his uh, gear from the event smokes and is thinking and occasionally he's just going women's bath. So anyway, are there any articles about Udon and where Luffy is? And they're like, no, no, we actually actually uh, heard anything about him, but there is, Oh, Eustace kid. Something happened. Oh, women's bath. He's in one. He just keeps on thinking about women's bathhouses because <laughs> his dream has realized Chris, he can't stop resist the urge to turn invisible and go fucking peep on women. And guess who's at a women's bathhouse. We're going to find out. That's right. Conjuro. Not Brooke, though. Nope. He's not going to get a glimpse of Brooke's bare bones. I hope he does. And then Brooke got to, then we all know Brooke got to take a bath. Hey, and one of them all be happy, at least. Yeah. Uh, so Sanji is trying to focus on, you know, the important stuff while also trying to focus on the not important stuff. The thing that Law had noted in the newspaper was that Eustace Kid has escaped, which is uh, stuff that we pick up at at the excavation labor camp in Udon. Uh, Luffy is, however, still in prison, having to work. He is being looked after by Alpaca Man, who is a gifter, who is, you know, looking down on Luffy and 
spitting on him as he speaks because he's an alpaca. It's like, that's disgusting. And it just keeps accumulating on Luffy's cheek and hair and head. It's gross. Also, the alpaca keeps on using the word Pac. Uh, For example, he's like, you talking Pac to me? It's, yeah. it's it's pretty good. He's an alpaca. He's an alpaca. Yeah. Uh, they're also tormenting Hyo, the old man that Luffy had helped out before by giving a whole, a whole bunch of uh, meal tickets that he didn't need. And uh, he's being attacked by this, uh, I guess, spider kind of uh, guy because he's got a whole bunch of different legs and he's kicking at the guy. Oh. Uh, and he's like, hey, we know you're cheating. There's no way that you can that you could have earned as many meal tickets as you got. So, you know, you're going to. So cut it out. There's no way that we know how much you work. There's no way that you could have gotten these many meal tickets and they've kicked him over while he's, you know, trying to save the uh, dumplings that they've uh, kicked out of his hands. And he's picking them off the ground and eating as much as he can while they're attacking him. Even when he's being stomped on, he refuses to give them up. They're like, you don't even have the right to eat that. And Hyo thinks to himself, I won't spit them out. I won't let a single dumpling he gave to me go to waste. Uh, and they're like, come on, tell, tell me who you got, who got the pickets from. And he's like, I would rather die than tell you, you young punk. That man has true chivalrous spirit, full of honor, protecting the weak and standing against the foolish and mighty. If I don't respond honorably in kind, the worse I look. So go on and kill me. Reading him took me back to the old days. It's been a long time since Yogoro the flower felt so fulfilled in belly and spirit. This is the land of samurai. There were many of them once. And then you came along and killed them all. Luffy tries to help the guy out, rushes away from the people, from the guys, uh, you know, guarding him and stuff. And they're like, don't hit the guard or they're going to put you to death. And uh, but he's just rushing towards him, goes in to attack the I guess actually he's a scorpion because he's got like a stinger in his hair. So goes up to help him. But at the moment right before he strikes the guy, suddenly we get word that Queen has arrived at the prison facility. The lead performer Queen has arrived and they're opening the gates to permit him in. Dun, dun, dun. Well, a lot, a lot of details in this chapter. Yeah. Um, I'm still kind of at this point where it's tough to follow One Piece currently just because there's so many plot lines going on. And it's not always clear what each group is attempting to do. Like, I'm still not entirely sure what the group that Sanji's in right now is hoping to accomplish. Which is their objective, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's a little tough. So we're bouncing around a lot of these things. And again, that's why I was kind of not super excited for the big bomb thing, which is like another thing on yeah. top of that. Um, I do think this chapter helped to more firmly establish some of those things, but it is still a tough thing to just be like, okay, let's, let's pull in all these stories, try to grasp where everyone's going and everything like that. Uh, but we shall see. I do like uh, some of the things that are going on in this. Uh, I like that we have met some of the samurai that they're seeking out without knowing who they are. And then it's later revealed that, oh, it's there must be one of the red scabbards. Um, there is just a, there is I agree with you a lot going on. There's a lot of details that I did not make note of, like the first two times that I read this chapter. Um, like there's a lot of stuff that goes on in, with the uh, Nami and Robin and Brooks group that they're talking about that just completely slipped under the radar for me. Um, and 
But that said, there there are some nice character moments in this. It's certainly not a boring chapter, at least. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that said, we're going to wrap things up now. We're going to name our favorites for this week. Favorite chapter and MVP. Uh, Chris? My favorite chapter I'm going to give to Seven Deadly Sins. I think it was a really strong chapter. Or not Seven Deadly Sins, sorry, Dr. Stone. Mm. Uh, Dr. Stone was a really good chapter this week. I loved how kind of exciting it got there towards the end. Uh, just kind of took something that definitely put me in a space where I'm like, oh, shit, I can't wait to read this next chapter now. I want to give it to Hell, War, and Higuma, but Dr. Stone was just so good um, that I kind of, I just have to acknowledge that. It was a really good chapter from beginning to end and had two very different but also but very good halves. And I'm no, no series uh, this week has me more excited to f- see what's going to happen next week. So, uh, my MVP, I, I guess I'm gonna give it to. Hmm. You give yours. I'm not sure. I'm uh, I am going to. <laughs> ah, sorry, we're all, we're all falling apart. That was now. bad. <laughs> Disgusting. I am going to give mine to Ray uh, because he just has some really amusing uh, reactions to the stuff going on around him in this chapter. Um, Just a nice little bit of kind of grounding things with, uh, you know, very straight faced and reasonable reactions to the stuff going on around. Just like, I'm just not going to get into this while having a coffee cup spitting out his drink when they talk about uh, how emperor like Norman is. Uh, all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> I'm going to give it to Charmy. I considered giving it to like Bond, but I was like, he didn't really do that much this chapter. He punched. Yeah. And even though I'm not crazy, huge fan of her character, I do think it was a cool moment for her. Mm. Uh, and I should note that Charmy was the, the audience MVP uh, in the uh, series of the week was a tie between seven of these sins and Dr. Stone. They were both very good. All right. Well, guys, that is going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap. We want to thank you for joining us. If you listen to the live show, uh, oh, and if you don't listen to us on the live show, we record the show on Mondays, usually around 7, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. But we do sometimes need to change things up as well. Uh, keep updated on that kind of stuff by following us on Twitter. The official podcast account is at WMR Podcast. Your hosts are at Nick F. Time and at Rolo T. If you would like to listen to our past episodes, you can find all of our stuff uh, in a number of different places. There's weeklymongerecap.podbean.com. We're on iTunes. We have a YouTube channel. If you check us out in those places, be sure to comment, rate, subscribe, all that good stuff. Help out the algorithm so that we can stand at the top of the hobby section and dethrone our rivals, the woodworkers. Uh, what else do I have to fucking say? I don't have my whole spiel in front of me. I'm doing this from memory, and I really should have it all memorized, but it's a very long spiel. If you have any feedback you want to give us, if you want to ask us questions for us to answer on a future episode of, uh, of Q&A for the podcast, or if you would like to make a suggestion for us to read in the future, you can send that stuff via email to weeklymockrecap.com, and you can also send, put the recommendations on the appropriate chat in our Discord server, where you can also see the spreadsheet that NinjaX3i maintains with all of the MVP stuff, all the recommendations that we've taken, all the recommendations that are currently being requested so that you can chime in and say, I want to see that too. All that stuff, very helpful for us to keep track of everything and find out what you guys want us to read. Special thanks go out to our Patreon supporters. You guys lost to create bonus content for you guys to enjoy. 
special con special thanks as well to Steam and our target artist and to Infamous Planet, our friend who doesn't bother. <coughs> can't be bothered. Can't be bothered. It's not that he doesn't, it's that he can't, he can't be bothered. bothered. Yeah. You know, I found myself starting to use that term myself yeah, I can't now. Be yeah. Like where I'm like, ah, I can't be bothered. And I'm like, fuck. That asshole, that asshole's in my head. <laughs> you never leave. And then I'm like, the only way to get it out is to kill him. That's, that's what I have to do. So that's how infamous he is. Stay tuned in 2020 when John Wick 4, where I'm the lead, <laughs> and I just kill him this planet comes out. What did he do? Did he like, kill your cat? And say, no, no. He just got a phrase in my head that I can't stop using. Nice. I, can't, I, I can't be bothered to forget. Damn it. There I go again. <laughs> he needs to die and it needs to be painful. I need him to be bothered. <laughs> this time, he will be bothered. Click, click. And then it cuts the credits. That's it. Bye. Oh. <laughs>